We are in our Corinthians series. We're in chapter 8 today. We're not only in chapter 8, we're also a little bit in chapter 10. You're going to notice that over the next few uh, weeks that we deal with Corinthians, we'll be pulling, we won't just be going exactly straight through because what happens is, is Paul in this section of Corinthians is dealing with some topics that they asked him about. But he'll kind of like deal with it a little bit and then jump over to the other topic and then weave the other one back in, you know, and there's kind of some cyclical stuff that's going on in there. And in, for our uh, purposes here on a Sunday morning, if we're going to tackle one of those topics at a time, we kind of have to pull from, uh, from a few of the different passages to go after one spot at a time. So, uh, and a couple of these things that he's answering them for, particularly when it comes to communion, we'll be dealing with communion in the fall here and uh, when he deals to uh, the role of men and women in the church and when he deals with uh, the pagan worship and meat sacrifice to idols on those three things in particular he's kind of like all over the place and so we're going to pull from the different passages and put them together and so today it's the the pagan worship the meat sacrifice to idols and we'll be pulling from eight and ten okay and we'll be doing all of chapter eight which is a short chapter and a little bit of uh, chapter ten that's where we're going to be at. And since we're dealing with meat sacrificed to idols, how many of you have been in a place where there's been meat sacrificed to idols? I, if you have, I, I'd be interested in hearing the story. And um, I wish I had known that beforehand. Maybe we'd have you, you know, share a testimony about it or something. But I, I don't know much about that whole scene. And many of you probably don't know much about that whole scene. And that doesn't really relate to our society very much. So what I want to do is I want to give you some background that the commentators have helped us in understanding what that whole scene's about before we read it. Because sometimes you read a text like that and you're like, okay, that's cool. No idea what you're talking about right now, you know, and uh, so we, uh, we, I want to give you just a little bit of perspective. Here's how this worked. There were these idols, these temples for the idols, okay, these pagan worship temples where they worship the idols, and in those spots, people would go to eat, okay, they would have these meals, you know, food has often been uh, a part of worship, a form of worship for many, many faiths. It, it is in our faith, isn't it? Where can you think that food is a part of worship for us? Love feast, yeah, communion, right? I mean, this is one of the most central ways that we worship God. One of, the, one of the primary ways that we worship God is through communion, the table of the Lord, the Lord's table. And, uh, but there are all sorts of things. You look at the Old Testament, all the feasts and all the fasts and all of those things and all the cycles, the ways that they worship. And that's not just true for, uh, for uh, Christianity or for Judaism. In, in most religions, food is a part of worship. And in these pagan idol worship, it was a huge part of it. Now, apparently, they had, fe uh, they had feasts all the time. And what they would do is basically these temples were almost like restaurants. Like if you wanted to eat out, you go out to the temple with everyone else and you eat. And it's under the, the idol, under the God, and it's kind of like this form of worship. And it's kind of integrated right there into society. Like you're going out, and for many of them, it might have been just a social event, but it was kind of intertwined with the religious thing. Okay, and so there's this question, apparently, that Paul, we think that, that Paul had written a previous letter to them that told them not to, in, to go to the temple and eat at the temple. But you see them kind of pushing back with Paul. And they're like, well, I don't know, Paul, you know, and, and this is why. We'll explain why, but here's the other issue. Before I explain why, there's this one other thing, is that while they were at the temple, there would also be a certain portion of the food, some meat, that was set aside for the idol itself, you know, and they'd put that in front of the idol, and it was, it was sacrificed, set apart for that idol. 
of course, the idol never actually ate the food. And go figure. And then they had to figure out what to do with the food, and so they'd sell the food. And you could go to the market, and you could buy this food. But wait a minute, that food was already offered to an idol. So now is it like there's like, there's like craziness up in that meat? Or like maybe God will be mad about me eating that meat, you know, or whatever. And so there's questions about that. And so those are two different things that are related to the same topic that are in this whole idea of the pagan worship and the food. And Paul's addressing that with them. Now, this is what was going on with the people of Corinth. They had written the letter back to Paul, you know, that, and, and the first six chapters of Corinthians, you remember, Paul didn't answer any other questions. Instead, he kind of reoriented their minds on what, uh, what the true gospel was, what they were supposed to be thinking church was, and all of that, because he knew if he just answered their question, they were going to get the wrong perspective from his answer. So he had to reorient their mind. And then finally in chapter 7, he starts answering their questions. And their first question that he answers was about marriage and sexuality. And we talked about that in chapter 7 last time. Now he moves on from there to this idea of the, the pagan worship and, and the meat sacrifice to idols. So he's starting to answer their questions. Now their question to him, their response to him about this whole pagan worship thing was this. Okay? So follow their logic. All right? Say, first of all, there's only one God. We used to worship all these other gods, but we've been brought into the faith. There's only one God. You've told us that Jesus is the only God. Amen? Amen. That all things are held together by Him and exist for Him, and we live for Him. All there is is Jesus. So what are you worried about, Paul? It's not like this thing that we're doing here is worshiping some other God. There is no other God. Let's not make it look like we actually fear that we're worshiping some other God. There's no other God. It's a bunch of junk. So we can engage in that activity and not worry about it because there's no God there anyway. So there's no harm, right? No harm, no foul. You know, there's, not, there's no problem. And secondly, here's the other piece of logic. The other piece of logic is they said, God doesn't really care what we eat. You know, he may care how much we eat, you know, but he doesn't care what we eat. As a matter of fact, Peter, you know, he had that big vision about all the, the foods that used to be forbidden are no longer forbidden. Remember? And, and then there was Jesus. Remember what Jesus said to the religious leaders? He said, it's not what goes into the mouth that makes a person unclean. It's what comes out of the mouth that makes a person unclean because out of the overflow of the heart, pours forth speech. So the heart is revealed by what comes out of the mouth. So if you want to know if a person's clean, you know by their heart and you see what's coming out of their mouth is showing what's in their heart. It's not by what is or isn't going into their mouth. So they have these two pieces of logic. They're like, A, God doesn't really care what we eat, and B, there are no other gods. So who really cares about the whole thing with food and other gods? We think that we should be able to go to these temples and eat this food and certainly eat the food that was sacrificed to the idols. Okay, that was their logic. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Sounds like pretty good logic. Paul has a response to them. Our text for today is the response to them, okay? And we're going to start in 8.1. And you're going to stand with me, please, in honor of God's word. <clears throat> now about food sacrificed to idols. We know that all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. <laughs> but the man who loves God is known by God. 
So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many quote-unquote gods and many quote-unquote lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things come and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. See how it's declaring Jesus is God there? It repeats the same phrase and it's declaring Jesus the deity of Christ, which is really cool to see that people at this this stage knew the deity of Jesus. Verse 7, but not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother, for whom Christ has died, is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. And in chapter 10, starting in verse 14. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean then that a sacrifice that, that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No. But the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God, and I do not want you to participate with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of the demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Verse 23. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put in front of you without raising questions of conscience. But if anyone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the man who has told you and for conscience sake. The other man's conscience, I mean, not yours. For why should my freedom be judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So, listen into this one. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the, say it with me, glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God 
even as I try to please everybody, everybody in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And may God add spectacular blessings to the reading of his word. You can have a seat and join me in prayer. God, I thank you for your word. And uh, as we said at the first service too, I just, I thank you for those who have helped shed light on these kind of passages. You know, there's, there's many commentators who have gone before, many who have studied, many historians who have gone and understood all about these cultures to help us understand what was actually going on here so we can see it. And I just appreciate that. I thank you for that, God. I thank you that the, the words that were spoken specifically to these people in this context to help them speak volumes to our life as we first understand what was happening there, it, it transfers to us in, in a whole nother way, God. And I just ask that today your word would be alive and active and that it would be sharper than a double-edged sword and it would penetrate to the dividing even of our soul and our spirit, our joint and our marrow, and it would guide us and direct us in everything that you have for us, God. And we'll thank you and praise you as you do that in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Galatians 5.1 states this. This is another one of Paul's letters to uh, the church in Galatia. And it says that it is for what that Christ has set us free? For freedom. Isn't that weird? Isn't that kind of like redundant? Like it is for freedom that Christ set you free. Well, yeah, okay. But like that, that reminds me of the song. Uh, this is the song that never ends. You know that song? It just goes on and on, my friend. Some, and and it, do you know that? Some people started singing it, not knowing what it was. And then they just kept singing it forever just because this is the song that never ends. And it just keeps going and going. And that's kind of what, what you want your kids to sing when you're on a road trip. As long as you have like a 45 with you, you know. <laughs> like, um, anyway. I didn't mean to do that. Um, so the, this verse is kind of like that. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. Well, where do you go with that? I mean, freedom to what? Like it's for freedom that he set us free. It was, it's just for freedom. That who set, he, I needed freedom to get free. He set me free. And it just keeps going around in a circle. And, and there's something deep and profound in this statement. It is for the sake of freedom that Christ set me free. And then it says, stand firm then. Stand firm in it. And don't let yourselves be burdened by a yoke of slavery again, you know? Don't get caught up, enslaved again. The whole point is that you're supposed to be free. So what is freedom then? What is freedom? Jen and the boys were out of town for three days this week. Is that freedom? Is that freedom? Well, it depends. See, here's the thing about freedom. Freedom is not... I'm going to get myself in so much trouble... Freedom is defined not primarily by just some abstract definition and concept. Freedom is defined by the situation, by the context. Freedom is defined by what it is that I'm trying to accomplish. You see, because freedom in one situation might be bondage in another situation, and what I'm trying to accomplish determines whether or not I feel free. Let me explain. I really like to chew gum. My wife hates gum. She was out of town. I was free. <laughs> I chewed so much gum. Man, my jaw's sore. You know, like, because I've been chewing gum. You know, and, and what if I want 
to stretch out on the bed. I like to like lay, like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I can't, you know, there's two of us in the bed, but I was free, you know. So if what I want is to sprawl out on the bed, if what I want is to chew gum, if what I want is to work a lot, you know, I was free for three days, you know. But if what I want is to play ball with my kids, if what I want is to love all my family and be close to them, I wasn't free. There was bondage. There was distance between us, and that was bondage that kept me from loving them. So you see, on one hand, I was free, but on another hand, I was in bondage. And what it is that I want to accomplish determines whether my situation right now is one of freedom or one of slavery. And it's all about what it is that I'm trying to accomplish. You understand what I'm saying? So when you think about freedom, what comes to mind? You think the word freedom. I mean, some of you might see an American flag waving. Some of you might think of of the Emancipation Proclamation. Some of you might think about a bald eagle soaring or George Washington. For most of us, freedom, when we first think about freedom, it has something to do with a situation where we feel unhindered, you know, where it's not oppressive, where the rules aren't too tight, you know, where there's freedom to do stuff, you know. We might think about political freedom or religious freedom, but it often has to do with being in a situation where things aren't too restrictive, you know, and the rules aren't too tight. I went to Moody Bible Institute. That's where I met Jen and Josh. And when I went to Moody Bible Institute, some people who know about uh, Christian colleges and Bible colleges, they know a little bit about Moody. And they might say to me, and this has happened plenty of times, Tim, I hear there's a lot of rules at Moody. How'd you deal with that? And there is, in fact, a lot of rules. Uh, Rules like... uh, you know, the way you dress, the way you look, curfew, all of that. There was rules like if I came home over the summer and I went to a wedding and uh, there was dancing at the wedding, I wasn't allowed to dance. And no dancing at the, you know, if you were a part of Moody. Or I couldn't go to the movies. So it didn't matter if it was VeggieTales playing and it was rated G. I wasn't allowed to go to the movies. You know, we just weren't allowed to go to the movies. And so there was these rules, right? And you might be like, what? That must have felt weird, you know? How'd you deal with that? And I always respond by saying this. I actually felt a whole lot of freedom because you have no idea where I actually came from. You know, because I went to this Christian high school that was way more conservative than that, you know? And, and the thing in the Christian high school is I could get booted out of the high school if I listened to music that had a beat on the two beat and the four beat. You know how to lay it down on the two and the four, Steve? I know you do. (laughs) You can drop it. Let's hear it, man. Two and the four. See, when you hit on the two and the four, what happens is is you kind of want to move a little bit. Let's hear a little bit. Come on, just a little bit. Yeah, feel it. See what happens. You know, it's just like you just want to go. And what happens is when you... That's good. Thanks. Yeah, so I'm about about to preach, brother. You know, and... um, What happens when it drops on the two and the four is your body kind of responds to that. And there's rhythm. But that's that's appeals to the flesh, and therefore it's bad music. That's devil music, you know? And and if you get caught, and it doesn't it doesn't matter what the lyrics are, if it was Christian music that had music on the two and the four, I could get booted out for that. You know? And so if I sing Here I Am to Worship, guess what? Beats on the two and the four when I sing Here I Am to Worship. So I can, you know what I mean? So I went to Moody and I go out to this Christian college and I get out there and I go to the chapel service and they're singing praise music and they're worshiping God. And I'm like, freedom, 
You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I can worship God up in here, you know? And I just felt like there's great melodies and lyrics that appeal to my spirit and a great beat that appeals to the body, and it's this holistic music that gets you moving and grooving and loving Jesus, and it works for me. And that felt like freedom. But others in that environment were like, oh, my goodness, I'm in a prison, you know? And so here's the deal is no matter what the rules are, if you're in one environment, it feels crazy strict. And in another environment, it might feel like it's really free. But for some people, those boundaries don't feel like prison. For some people, those boundaries feel like freedom. And let me explain. And this is true for any of us. This is true for any of us. There are things that we might call boundaries that some people might call boundaries and restrictions. You know, there might be an anarchist out there who says, we shouldn't have any government. Yeah, well, take away the government and see how you feel. You know what I mean? Like, and this is the way it is. In, in that environment, for some people, that just felt freedom because what ends up happening is it's kind of like in medieval times when, when there's just darkness all over the place and you build this big fortress and this tower tucked against a cliff you know, and those big walls there that you're not allowed to get out of create space and freedom for you to live a life that you don't have to worry about being attacked all the time. And some people say, we live in a dark spiritual world where there's all sorts of chaos and the enemy is constantly trying to get us and consume us and deceive us. And if we create a Christian environment where things are strict and where we hold down the law and people live the way they're supposed to live and we, and we make sure that things are tight, within that environment, there's a sense of freedom because we know God, that, that God protects us. The enemy can't get into that thing. And so people feel free within there. For other people, they're like, that line is drawn way too tight in the way I read the scripture. It doesn't do that, and I can't express myself, and it feels like a prison. Get it? Make sense? Now, I've been in other religious situations, in other religious institutions, where people won't nail down anything. There's no black and whites, you know, where there's, no, there's nothing written down. There's nothing strong, where everyone gets to kind of figure it out on their own. And there's, there's nothing written down. And so in that kind of environment, what often happens is, is that some people feel like, yes, I'm finally free. I don't have to live by the traditions of this group or the interpretations of the scripture of this group. It's just me and God, and I get to figure it out on my own. But often what also ends up happening in the midst of that is all sorts of craziness ends up happening. And you don't know if you can trust the person next to you or not because there's this kind of behavior and there's that kind of behavior, and you don't know how to be on the same page as the person next to you. Unity is hard to find, and you start struggling and having frustration with each other because there's no overarching community principle, you know? and there's disunity, and there's fractioning, and, and, and now I have to look over my shoulder, and I never know what's right and what's wrong, and so the enemy can start picking apart my head, and I have a hard time figuring out where the lines are anymore. And for some people, it feels like freedom, and for others, it feels like they're in the pit of hell, you know? And you see how the circumstances in each of those situations, one, there's no boundaries, and I, sh- I sh- should feel like freedom, but it's not. It's scary. And in the other, it's the boundaries create the freedom, or it feels like prison. What is my aim is determining whether or not that situation feels like freedom or not. If I want to get rid of the, the religious baggage that's been holding on to me, then I want this other thing. And if I want some safety, because I've been in an environment, I know what it's like to be in that spot at work where no one else is following Christ. I would love to be in a place where there's more people following Christ and, and you know, people are going the same way. And so where you're coming from determines which kind of environment you're looking to for freedom, you know? And, and one's going this way, one's going this way. 
And this whole idea of environment being freedom is something that we kind of have in our head. And as Americans, there's kind of this underlying principle around freedom. And this isn't just true of the American church. I mean, this is true of, of Americans in general. Americans in general have this, this feeling of we really want to be in control of our own decisions. We're almost obsessed with our rights. We have rights. And I have the right to decide this, and no one can tell me I have the right, that I don't have that right. And we have a government built on having freedom, which is awesome that we have freedom. You know, it's incredible. I mean, try any of us went and tried to live in North Korea for a day and see how that would feel. You know what I mean? Like, it's incredible to live in a place where there's freedom. But sometimes we become obsessed with having rights and having freedom and being able to make my own decision and being my own boss. But I have a question around that sometimes. I look around and I ask, does it really result in people being truly free? What do I mean by that? I mean, I don't mean just politically free or religiously free or freedom of speech. I mean, like, remember how freedom is defined? It's defined by what it is we're trying to accomplish. And if I'm the one who's in charge of everything that it is I'm doing, then it means I'm the one who's defining what it is that I'm trying to accomplish all the time. And I'm not sure that that's a good place to be. Because frankly, I didn't create me. And I don't think you created you. We were all created by someone else. We're created beings. And what it is that we were designed to accomplish is not something that we get to choose. What we were designed to accomplish is something that God already chose. He chose that we were designed to accomplish one thing. The text that we read just tells us, that we just read tells us what it is. What is it? To bring glorify, to glorify God. Bring glor- it says whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for one purpose. What? Do all for the glory of God. So the real question around freedom, whether we know it or not, whether we're aware of this or not, inside of us, there, it is hardwired within our spiritual DNA. We are designed for one purpose, and that's to glorify God. If I am able to glorify God, if I am truly able to glorify God, then I am free. If I am incapable of glorifying God, then I am enslaved. Then I am under a yoke of slavery. And so I want to ask it again. If we're in an environment where there's religious freedom, where there's political freedom, does that mean necessarily that I'm experiencing true freedom to glorify God? By no means does it mean that. By no means. There are plenty of people who live under politically oppressed and religiously oppressed environments that are spiritually alive and free and they're glorifying God. And there are many, many people who live in places that have all sorts of religious and political freedom and yet they're held in spiritual bondage, right? Because what we wrestle against and what we fight against and the things that we're held captive by are not governments nearly as much as they are ourselves. I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 6, please. Verse 20. When you were slaves to sin... You were free from the control of righteousness. I want you to think about that phrase for a second. When you were slaves to sin, 
you were free from the control of righteousness. That's like, when I'm a slave to gum, I'm free from the control of Jen. <laughs> That's basically what it's saying, you know? When, when I'm a slave to sin, I don't have to worry. When I'm a slave to gum, I don't have to worry about my wife because I'm serving gum, you know? <laughs> like, that's what it's saying. It's that ridiculous. When you're a slave to sin, you don't have to worry about the control of righteousness. Righteousness is good, you know? And sin is bad. And it's saying, but when you're a slave to sin, you don't have to worry about righteousness because it's all about your sin, you know? That's what you're slave to. Whatever makes you feel good, go after that. Now, you don't have to worry about righteousness. You're not going to get any of that, okay? And, and this is, okay, so keep, well, let's keep going here. Verse 21, what benefit did you reap at, the time, at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It says, I was freed from sin, and I became a slave to what? To God. So now all of a sudden, man, I'm free from, if I'm free from sin, I can be free to be a slave to God, right? So now righteousness does have its effect. So it's, it's like I'm free from gum, but I'm a slave to my wife now, you know? It's really the way it turns back the other way, you see? And it's like, well, I want to be bound to her, you know? And so I'd much rather be bound to her than to gum if I had to choose, which unfortunately I have to. <laughs> and this is the way it is with sin and with God. You know, we have to choose whether there's sin or whether there's God. And we become slaves to one and freed from one. We're either freed from righteousness and freed from the need to follow God so that we can serve sin, or we're freed from sin and slavery to it in order to follow God and be made righteous and reveal the glory of God. Here's the problem, of course. We all know the problem, right, is that we can't free ourselves from our own sin. And that's why we have Christ who died on the cross to free us from our sin. Now, this bondage, how does it work out? If I am created, if, if what I'm called to is to glorify God, how do I glorify God? What is, glorifying God means revealing his character, right? And what is God's primary character? Characteristic? Yeah, the core characteristic of God is love. And love, by definition, puts the interest of others ahead of oneself, right? So love, the opposite of love is not just hatred. That's the opposite of passion love, so, like, there's the eros, the passion love, and the opposite of that might be hatred. But, the, but agape love, the deep kind of love, the God love, is selflessness. And what's the opposite of selflessness? Selfishness. And so, what is the thing that keeps us from revealing the glory of God by being selfless? What is the bondage that I'm held by? Selfishness. It's the bondage of sin at its core selfishness, being self-consumed, self-obsessed, overly self-aware, you know, self this, self that, that keeps me from revealing the glory of God. Because the revelation of the glory of God is when I'm selfless. And so true freedom 
is found when we get past ourselves. So I have to bring us back to the American thing for just a second and say, when we become obsessed with our own rights and being in charge of our own decisions and being the one who makes our decisions, when we get obsessed about that, what does it reveal about what we're trying to achieve and who we're trying to serve and who we're slaves to? I am a slave to who? Self, self-obsession, you know? And this is what we deal with all the time. Now, for the Corinthians, it was a, a bit of a different a bit of a different deal. Okay, for the Corinthians, it goes like this. You know, they, ha- they were smart. They're smart, and they figured it out. They're like, there's only one God, and God doesn't care what we eat, so he doesn't care about these pagan temples. They were smart. And what Paul says is he says, first of all, your knowledge is limited, okay? He sa- remember what he says? He says, those who know, who have knowledge, they don't know what they ought to know. That's what he says. And what they ought to know is this, is when they roll up into the pagan temple and they offer these sacrifices by eating, they're actually offering sacrifices while there are no other gods. They are actually offering the sacrifices to somebody. Who? Demons. Okay, so there may not be other gods, but there are certainly other spiritual beings. And if there are these other spiritual beings, then we're offering to these other spiritual beings sacrifice. And what does he mean by that? It means that the whole system upon which the, the, this movement is happening, this religious movement of going to the temples and worshiping idols, is based on a lie. And that lie is something that is perpetrated, it's put out there, it's laid out there by the demonic. And when the demonic tempts us and gets us to believe wrong things, it leads us away from the glory of God. It leads us away from a relationship with God. It leads us away from revealing the glory of God through love. And it leads us into selfishness, okay? And so the demonic is constantly trying to deceive us to think inappropriately. And what Paul's saying to them is, he's saying, you're saying there's no other God, but your knowledge is limited because you're not acknowledging that there are other spiritual beings. And when you engage in this activity, while you may not be worshiping a god, you're playing along with the devil's games and you're going along with society and how he has deceived society in leading people to serve themselves in these ways. And you're engaging in that activity. And that's aiding and embedding the demonic. And you can't actually say that you're, uh, you know, serving God and loving God and sitting at his table while you're also aiding and embedding the enemy. It doesn't make sense, okay? So that's the one side of it. Now, he also says that knowledge puffs, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And this is where he's going with that. He says the meat sacrificed to idols, okay? He's like, there's no boogeyman in your meat, okay? There's no, there's no craziness up in your meat. It wasn't like there was some incantation, and now all of a sudden a devil got up in your meat, and you eat it, and you're going to have devil in your belly. There's no, like, you know, God's not going to be like, you know, just furious with you because that meat was offered to that guy and now you're eating it and God, does, God made the meat, you know, like the rest of it's just a joke. It's a lie, you know. God doesn't care. And he says, you can eat anything. Eat, any, eat whatever. I mean, like, if you got to eat McDonald's, do what you got to do. You know what I mean? Like, you can eat it. It's fine, you know. It's fine if you're thanking God for it. I don't think McDonald's actually came from God, but whatever, you know. Like, um, you know, it came from something that was on this earth. I don't know. And, um, earthworms came from God, you know, and so whatever. And, uh, you know, if you're, you can eat whatever and it doesn't make you dirty and it doesn't make God hate you. 
You know, it doesn't make God despise you. God's not disappointed by what you eat. There's those controversial things in our head, you know, where we're like, am I allowed to do this or am I not allowed to do this? Well, the easy answer is this, yes. You know, the easy answer is we cannot actually obey the law of God to have him be impressed with us ever, ever. The law has been fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And we can't fulfill it. There's no going back and trying to be holy and righteous and trying to be good by living according to this law or according to that. And if we're trying to justify ourselves by can I do this or can I do that, we missed the boat. Jesus already filled it up. He took it on himself and he took his righteousness and he put it squarely on top of us. And when God sees us, all he sees is fulfilled law. And whatever else it is that we're doing, it's not taking away from our righteousness because our righteousness only comes from the cross, not from our behavior. Okay, that's, that's how righteousness works. It's imputed righteousness by God. That's how it works. So there's nothing I can do to earn good standing in God's eyes or to lose good standing in God's eyes. It's all about whether I trust Christ for my good standing in God's eyes. Okay, so whether or not I can eat this stuff is a moot point. You know, there's no demons in this thing. You can eat whatever, eat it. Okay, but here's the deal. He says, you're smart enough to know that. But what I'm finding is this, is that you're still enslaved. And this is how I know it. Because your big question is, am I allowed to eat meat? Your big question is not, how will that affect my brother or sister? And if what you want to know is if you can do this, or if you can do that, then guess who you're still trying to serve? You. But if what you're trying to decide right now is how to best reveal the glory of God, then I should be obsessed with how I can better the world around me, how I can help my neighbor, how I can build up my family, how I can build my personal relationship with God, how I can help the church grow and build the bonds in the church and help my brother or sister take the next step forward. And if what my question is, is am I allowed to eat this or am I permitted to eat this, then I'm not asking a question that reveals that where I'm headed is to the glory of God. What I'm actually showing is that I'm obsessed with something else. See, freedom is not found in circumstances. Freedom is found in the heart. Because what keeps me from enjoying God to the fullest, what keeps me from revealing His glory is not my circumstances. It's the desires of my heart. The desires of my heart, when they're obsessed with other things, can't find their fulfillment in God. So the slavery that I find myself in is my obsession with pleasing myself. The slavery that I find myself in is when I'm self-consumed and I can't actually think about other people because I'm too busy thinking about me. That stuff in my heart is my slavery. It's bondage. It's deception in my mind. I've bought the lies of the enemy that if I do this and do this and do this and get this and and all of that stuff, that I'll be happy. It's lies of the enemy. And so for them, they would go to these temples to eat the food. And I guess that was fun or something. I I don't know enough about it to know what all was fun about that. Maybe the food was super good or something. And maybe it was the social event around it that they just really liked to be with everyone else or whatever. But they wanted to do this And they wanted to be about it. And then he's like, you shouldn't be about that. And then secondly, he's like, you can eat the meat sacrificed to idols. Who cares? But you better first be wondering how this is going to affect your brother or sister. Because some of your brothers and sisters, 
Every time they go to eat this thing, they feel guilty. And yeah, they shouldn't feel guilty. But guess what? They do. And when they do feel guilty, they start obsessing over it and they see themselves. And now they're stuck on themselves again. And when you go and eat it in front of them, while you're, you have the right to do that, you're not actually helping them move forward. If someone's scared of the dark, what's the best thing you can do for them? Turn on the light, man. Don't tell them there's nothing to be afraid of. Turn on the light, you know? And if the person has a weak conscience and they can't handle this thing, we can shed truth to them and tell them, ah, oh, you don't really have to worry about that. God doesn't care or whatever. Well, that's cool. And we can try to educate people. But the better thing to do is just get them away from it and get them pointed toward God, you know? Who cares about that whole thing? Get them connected to God. The exercise of my freedom, if it is used for my pleasure, is not actually freedom because it's not leading me toward my ultimate purpose, which is to glorify God by loving others. I reveal whether or not I am free by whether or not my objective is to love God and benefit those around me. And if I am free on that level, then I've truly experienced freedom. And if I'm standing on my knowledge in Christianity to, to, I have freedom to do this and freedom to do that, but I don't care how it affects anyone else, then guess what? It's not actually freedom. It's the pride that, it's the knowledge that puffs up, not the love that builds up. And Paul outlines for us this for us. And I put this little grid on the, on the screen here. Um, if you look in chapter 10, uh, some of you have different translations. And you see that the words that Paul uses in the translations are different based on... Uh, you know, which, tr- which translation you have. In the NIV that we've been reading from, it says everything is permissible. In uh, other translations, it says everything is lawful. You know, and so I just used a couple of these different words. And there's a difference between spiritual bondage and, and political bondage, right? And religious bondage. There's a difference. One's out here, it's circumstantial. The other's in here and in the heart. And there's a difference between spiritual, there's a difference between political freedom and kingdom freedom. One's out here, one's in here. And so there are plenty of people who are experiencing political and religious bondage, but are experiencing spiritual freedom and vice versa. And this right here is the difference between spiritual bondage versus kingdom freedom. On the deep level, Are we in spiritual bondage or are we in kingdom freedom? Are we still asking the question, what am I allowed to do? What am I permitted to do? Or am I obsessed at this point with what will profit the kingdom of God? Am I obsessed at this point with what will actually be constructive and helpful and profitable in the relationships around, in building the church. Is this what I'm going after? How can I glorify God? How can I help my neighbor? How can I better the society around me? Is that what I'm obsessed about? Or am I still saying, am I allowed to do this? Because I really feel like doing this, you know? And that's the difference between whether we're playing the religious game but held spiritually captive or whether we are free in the spirit to pursue our ultimate objective, which is to live for the glory of God and reveal his love. So, okay, that's enough of this thing here, that that, uh, page, thanks. Um, I just want to close by saying this. In America, this is very different. The application, that's all about Corinth, okay, and what Paul was saying to him. And I, I want to apply this for a second. And say in America, for us, where we worship idols, where we become captive to other things, where we elevate other things to deity, where we don't care about others and all of that, it's different. It's not in religious environments anymore. I mean, there is false religions that we deal with in America. No question about it. There's weird spirituality out there and everything. And, you know, heads up, don't 
you know, mess with tarot cards and Ouija boards and stuff like that, you know? Not good. Like, there's stuff behind it. There's no other gods, but there's the demonic. And don't mess with dark spirituality, you know? It's not good. It'll mess with you. I don't think that's the major application for our lives right now. Maybe some of you are, have engaged in spiritual activities that you're not sure if they're Christian or not, if they're not submitted to Christ. If you are, just step out of it, you know? Like, it's, it's bad. It's not good. It's not helpful. Don't mess around with it. Why mess around with it, okay? And, but on a deeper level, on a deeper level, most of the false spirituality, the spiritual bondage that happens in America is not religious anymore. We're over religion at this point in America, okay? We've had enough of that. You know, religion is gone, you know, in that sense. We're not, we're not interested in the religious things so much. What is it that drives us? Where are the, the, the temples to the idols in our society? You know where they are? They're at work. When I want to obsess with my career and, and, and advancing my career, and I want to be a workaholic, you know where else they are? They're at the gym where I, I'm, I'm totally obsessed with my physique or my health. And I want to just like be all about that. You know where else they are? They're at the bar where I want to just drown my sorrows away all the time. You know? And I want to just throw down and not have to think about anything else. You know? You know where else they are? They're at the casinos or wherever else where I just want to enjoy and have fun and do all of this. And I don't care how it affects society and how it might damage the society around me. You know where else they're at? They're at the shopping malls where all I want to do is satisfy the cravings and look this way or buy this and consume this. And I don't really care how it affects the world around me. I don't care if there's, you know, people who are being human trafficked who are manufacturing the stuff that I'm purchasing right now. I don't really care, you know? And it doesn't doesn't matter. And when I stop thinking about how this affects anyone else around me, and I no longer care about whether this brings glory to God, all I care is about satisfying the next yearning of my heart. When I go to Shady Maple and I'm just pounding it in my throat as deep as I can to get another taste of something tasty, and all I care about is the next sensation on my tongue, you know? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, one purpose for the glory of God. And freedom is defined for me by whether or not I am free from the lies of the enemy that try to get me to be self-obsessed in America by whatever it is I'm chasing for my freedom, whatever it is I'm chasing for my satisfaction. When I was designed to find my satisfaction in one place alone, enjoyment of God. It's not that we're not supposed to enjoy life. Oh my goodness, we should enjoy life more than anyone else as believers. But if our freedom is used to run around and listen to the lies of the enemy, to try to find these different things to make me enjoy life, then I'm deceived and I'm not in freedom. Freedom is this. When I could sit in North Korea in a politically oppressed environment and be full of joy because I have Christ. And there are many who have that kind of freedom. And there are many of us in America who don't. Because with all of our choices and with all of our freedom, we are free to satisfy our appetites, free to satisfy our cravings, free to satisfy our selfishness. And the temptation is so great. And we yearn for it. And we're deceived by it. And we get led from our primary design. And so we get held captive. We get caught in the bondage. It's a sad thing. This isn't a guilt trip. The last thing 
that Paul wants in the passage is to throw a guilt trip. As a matter of fact, he tells us not to eat stuff if it's going to cause other people guilt trips because then they're not going to be able to get close to Christ. He wants us to feel free. It's not like if you go to a shopping mall and buy something, obviously you're doing anything wrong. Or if you go to work and work hard, you're doing anything wrong. Or any of that stuff that we talked about. Jump in, enjoy it, engage it. But that's the primary question is not, is this going to make me happy? The primary question, is this going to glorify God? And is this going to benefit those around me? And if we've gone through those filters and we said, yes, it's going to do this. And yes, it's going to do that. Then go after it and go after it with everything inside of me. And I will find myself full of great satisfaction and great joy as I serve God and serve those around me. Amen? All right, let's pray. God, you know, here at Parker Ford Church, we are uh, called to be one body. You say that as we partake in the bread, that we are one body. And uh, it's really easy for us to get into the mindset of like, I'm in charge of my own spiritual life. I mean, like, how can we not get in that mindset? We don't live in a society that functions as a community anymore. We live in a society, especially here in the Northeast and greater Philadelphia, where we are like, we're rogue, independent people, you know? We make our own decisions and we do our own thing and we go to work and punch the cock here and we go over here and do this and everyone's kind of free to do their own thing and some stuff about that's just incredible and it's awesome, you know? But there's other things about it that are really scary. Like, we don't realize at times how we're affecting others with our decisions. And part of that's because we're so free and independent, but part of that is because we haven't been freed from our selfishness, you know? Some of us are still pretty self-obsessed And our lives are still primarily about us. And some of us have never gotten to the place where we've gotten past ourselves and been satisfied by you and we've never accepted your your freedom, you know? And some of us have tasted it deeply, but then we've been led astray. We need help. We need help. I'm going to do something different um, than I I hardly ever do anything like this. But I just just sense right now that if, if there's any of us who feel the need, we really feel the need for God to just touch us right now, to get us past ourselves, you know, to free us to live according, according to that desire in our hearts, the deep, deep desire, the created desire to live more loving. And we're just feeling right now like we could really use God freeing us more. You know, whether that's the first time and you've never engaged in that or whether you're just, you know, you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, but you feel like it's kind of been like, it's been about me and I'm not there right now. And, and I need to receive some prayer for that. Uh, you know, as we're still just keeping our eyes closed or whatever, just stand up in your seat and, um, and we're going to pray together. Uh, this is just taking a stand, you know, where he says, uh, the reason I feel this is where it says, um, it is for the sake of freedom that Christ set you free. Therefore, stand firm and do not be, made, uh, uh, be brought into the yoke of slavery again. And there's all sorts of stuff that wants to hold us, but I just want us to stand in our freedom, you know? And so if, if, you, if you want that, stand up right now. If you, if you are asking God, God, make me free of myself so I can live for the glory of God and for the betterment of, of your church and your kingdom, just stand up.